0: welcome to the lens hosted by catalysis where we get a glimpse inside healthcare organizations that are transforming to a culture of improvement to deliver continually higher value outcomes for patients staff and communities visit createvalue.org for more information about catalysis
1: welcome back to the lens i'm your host peter maria joining us today is dr john toussaint who's the catalysis executive board chair and Steve Shortell, co-founder of the Center for Lean Engagement and Research, CLEAR, at the University of California, Berkeley. Steve is also a member of the Board of Directors of Catalysis. Well, John and Steve are two of eight co-authors from the recently published article, The Better Care Plan, a blueprint for improving America's healthcare system, and it was published in Health Affairs Scholar, which is from Oxford University Press. This article explores how we can transition from the current fee-for-service system in America, to a risk-adjusted payment system with increased transparency on performance to continuously improve outcomes. If you're interested, the complete article is available at createvalue.org in the News and Articles section. You can find that under the Resources menu. As always, I want to thank you both for joining us. John, most of the listeners are very familiar with you, but please, let's have an update of what are you working on lately with healthcare organizations and, and this mission?
2: Well, I think that we would all agree that there needs to be some structural changes in uh, healthcare today. And that's why we wrote this paper. Uh, Steve and I are the first and second authors on the paper. So we spent a lot of time on it, but we believe that we need to create different incentives um, for people to improve because the existing fee-for-service system does not incent uh, continuous improvement. And actually we've seen in the last few months, you know, entire uh, performance improvement teams being disbanded by by their executives um, because they're trying to cut costs. But that is in a fee-for-service world. If we actually were being, if we were in a prepaid world, uh, we would be thinking totally differently and probably hiring performance improvement executives because we really need to uh, improve care models, make create new care models. And uh, right now we have no financial incentive to do that. So that's what I've been thinking about, working on, writing about is, you know, how do we change the structure of American healthcare to really focus on uh, continuous improvement uh, of the care that we deliver? Thank you, John.
1: D- Steve, You've been on the podcast, you've been on The Lens before. Tell us, what have you been working on of late at and, and Clear?
0: Yeah, well, John's mentioned, uh, John and I and six of our colleagues, we call ourselves the Better Care Plan Group. And we meet every uh, every second Friday, every other uh, Friday, and bring in other stakeholders that we want to influence and do some of the things that John just mentioned. I think what we're really trying to do is accelerate the changes. You see pockets of it around the country, but much too slow. So I've been working on that, Peter. I've also been working in California with an economist colleague of mine, Richard Scheffler, where we've developed a public option plan for the state of California. And in fact, we met just yesterday on Zoom with our Secretary of Health and Human Services, who we think we've got engaged enough to at least explore the idea and we're meeting with people in the governor's office as well. So I've been working on public option in California. Third thing I've been working on, Peter, is uh, I have a grant still uh, with colleagues at the university from Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, completed a second wave of national survey of physician practices. And we're beginning to analyze that data, how they came through the pandemic, et cetera. But we got one question on there about lean. Uh, And whether or not they're using some of the processes and so forth. So we're about to start. uh, Dorothy Hung and I, Dorothy, as you know, is now the director of CLEAR. She and I and colleagues are starting to examine some of that data and see if uh, those practices that score higher on our uh, CLEAR lean question uh, maybe are doing better. So that's, uh, that's still to come
1: great that's exciting it's it's i mean the previous work you've done obviously in those surveys have clearly shown at least some connection between lean and continuous improvement and the outcomes that that the healthcare services really provide john you have spoken for years about the inherent challenges of the current fee for service model introducing the better care plan the article covers design principles care delivery quality payment and data reporting why is that so important right now?
2: Well, I think we're seeing it with the uh, with how poorly some of these uh, healthcare organizations are performing. I, you know, I think more than half the hospital systems in this country are going to lose money um, this year, and you know, it's related to skyrocketing expenses. and And um, the, the the reality is that the existing fee for service. Uh, uh, payment system is not keeping up with the, uh, you know, with the, um, with, with the performance of these organizations. So something has to give, um, you know, we, we really ha- had several different design principles as we were thinking about this. It's not just about payment. It's like, you know, what are we going to incent? We need to incent team-based care. Uh, if we get the payment system right, continuous improvement will actually be uh, incentivized. We need to eliminate equities. I mean, lean is all about you know um, uh, equal playing field. Um, we need the patients to have access to all of their data, right, and 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 understand uh, where they stand with their uh, with their physician. We need transparency of patient safety data. I mean, this still, you know, y- you have. Uh, three times greater likelihood of dying in some hospitals and other hospitals. I mean, that variability today is just, uh, it's unfathomable uh, to us. And so we're, you know, suggesting uh, creating something along the lines of uh, the National um, Transportation Safety Board for patient safety. But we still believe that all of this can be done in a competitive manner, but we just need to compete on the right things. We need to compete on safety and access uh and 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 quality and price and and not not on, on you know who's got the, the the fanciest building or the the best marketing department thank you
1: steve anything you want to add to that
0: no i think john has said it well we kind of summarize it peter in a way of people to think about it is the three pillars so one you need to change the payment create the right incentives for continuing- Improvement to deal with the challenges that everybody now faces, and then of course that gives the incentive to change care, to develop the new care delivery models that we talk about, and in turn you need the feedback. How well are you doing? And that's the transparency on safety and outcomes, and National Patient Safety Board quality outcomes reporting. So it's all a package. Those three three pillars, and we that's how we wrote about it, and that's what's needed.
1: Thank you, Steve. So, and John the. Looking at the co-authors of the article, there's there's eight total. The group is truly impressive. In addition to the two of you, there's representation from Brown University, Project Hope, UC Berkeley, others. what, What did each contributor bring to the content of the article?
2: Well, we talk about this regularly because we all come from different backgrounds. So I think what's unique about this group is that it's not just one perspective. It's really eight different perspectives, and it's from research, it's from practitioners, it's from government, it's from many different angles. That uh, if you collectively look at the experience of this group, uh, you know uh, the group has experience across every every sector in the in the healthcare industry. Now that there's good and bad to that. Um, the uh, the good is we get you know really unique perspectives. The I wouldn't say bad, but the more uh, uh, com- complicated is uh, trying to get everybody to agree. So, <laughs> so this paper was kind of, uh, uh, you know, it took us quite a while to write it. And uh, uh, we actually had Emily a- Adams help us, uh, who's, you know, helped me on, on all my books because we needed to capture those perspectives, but we needed to, to also figure out what do we actually agree on so I think the interesting thing about this paper is is this is what this unique group of people actually agrees on with multiple perspectives and I think that's you know why it's actually a pretty powerful piece.
1: You know that that's interesting cuz obviously to implement or or launch this type of concept in the country or beyond is it's going to take a lot of different people agreeing on at least some of the the foundational pieces so that there can be some motion, some progress made, and people can see the results. Wouldn't you agree, Steve?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and as John said, I'd never been involved in writing a paper with eight co-authors before, uh, but we found the common ground through discussion. And just to flesh things out a bit for, for listeners on, on our colleagues on this, a little bit of detail. Uh, The three people that have had a lot of government and policy experience uh, were like John Kingsdale from Massachusetts. He designed the Massachusetts Health Insurance Exchange that the uh, Affordable Care Act and and Obama really based uh, the national standards on. It was the Massachusetts connector. So John Kingsdale is a member of the group. He teaches at Brown and Tufts now. Gail Walensky ran uh, HICVA. Uh, now Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services and regular uh, writer in JAMA and, and so forth and comments on health policy issues. We had a former uh, Congresswoman from Pennsylvania, Allison Schwartz, and she's also ran the uh, Medicare Alliance group and, and and a lot of interesting insights from her. So they all weighed in. Uh, George Halverson, many people knows, ran Kaiser Permanente. And of course, before that, Group Health in Minnesota and he's been you know a national leader in so many different ways uh, john of course with all of his background and experience running ThetaCare, care and of course creating catalysis and uh, you know a national leader in many different forms and then Richard Scheffler and I were the academics in the group, kind of provided some entertainment for the group from time to time. But uh,
2: <laughs> we, we have our ideas and
0: weighed in, and we, we study the system. The others uh, try to do something about it. We study it and try to provide some insights from our analysis. So that was the group. I don't think I, well, I did leave Peter uh, Wadsworth out. Important to mention, Peter, very interesting early investor in some of the early HMOs and managed care. And uh, now he's a real consumer advocate, particularly he's worked with John and I on some patient reported outcome uh, approaches. So as John said, that's our group, different perspectives, but we found common ground. We can do better. We can provide better care.
1: Well, no one can accuse you two of leaving any segment out of it. You've pretty much got the entire waterfront covered with that. And in the article, you list seven principles for the better care plan, and you but what was neat is you group them by specific change they support. John, for example, to change how we organize and deliver. You care. You list integrated team based. You mentioned it a little earlier. Primary care, continuous improvement, and efforts to eliminate inequities. Talk about these desired changes and and the thinking behind their importance.
2: It's interesting to go back to two thousand and six seven when um, we were experimenting. With team-based care, we we wrote several papers on this called the collaborative care model, and that's where we really brought together in the, on the inpatient side um, all the team members: nurses, doctors, technicians, housekeepers, and they would all huddle, you know, and at the patient's uh, in front of the patient's room um, before uh, the team went in to to see the patient, and then they would huddle after the patient was seen. And it was that team based approach that led to, you know, 30 percent improvement in quality performance, uh, dramatic improvement in, in nursing productivity. And that now is the norm. But back in 2006, it was sort of like, oh, really? Uh, team based care. But, you know, Steve and others have published a number of papers now that clearly show. And of course, we are our evidence when when I was CEO clearly showed that that team based care was way better care. I mean it, it's intuitive, it would seem intuitive, but we actually you know had to prove it and uh, and we did. So that is actually one of the really fundamental principles behind this whole thing. It's like if we can build a team-based care system with the primary care doc really kind of leading it, um, you know there's good evidence that we're going to have lower cost and higher quality. Uh, and so that's one of the core elements of the better care plan is, is, is team-based care, along with continuous improvement. So, you know, we have to constantly be looking at how do we deliver a better care model? What, what, what are the changes that are required to do that? So much of today's improvement is sort of what I call project-based, where we do a project and then we don't do anything else. And it's like, that's not continuous improvement. Continuous improvement means we're doing a plan, do, study, act cycle every day on everything that we do. And if we do that in a team-based approach, we get tremendously better care. And that's, you know, that's what our patients, uh, that's what, that's what our patients deserve. And it's irrespective of uh, socioeconomic status or anything else. It's like that model is what works. And, uh, and we know that. So that's why it's a core element of the better care plan.
1: Well, and the better, the other part of that is everybody in the team learns together. So it's a shared knowledge, it's a shared journey, as opposed to much more siloed. So John, Steve, from, from you all as authors, As I read the article, one thing that struck me throughout was that you offered ways to use existing systems or programs to support this transition. For example, the data already collected by electronic health record companies such as Epic and some of the current efforts by Centers for Management and Medicare CMS in supporting prospective payment models. How do these existing resources support a better care model as you presented it?
0: Yeah, I'll start off on this. I'm going to, you know, John will say more about EPIC because, as you know, Peter, he's on the uh, EPIC board and has worked with them quite closely. Uh, But obviously, now that we have the electronic health records, most hospitals do, most physician practices are getting there. Uh, We need to have much quicker transmission of data, visibility of data, and EHRs make that possible. And now, of course, with generative AI uh, models and algorithms, we can you know, I'll make some further advances in that area and that relates to better care in terms of having it uh, at the fingertips during the encounters with uh, primary care providers, but also quicker feedback as well. Uh, CMS, we really support they have a lot of leadership there in terms of value based payment models. They have a number of different approaches for that upside downside to, you know, upside downside risk, full risk, etc. We'd like to see them move faster, but they have a lot of uh, knowledge that they're beginning to generate. And we're trying to work now with the commercial payers of the world uh, that they speed up. These value-based payment models move towards full uh, risk-adjusted prospective payment, uh, whether it be United or Aetna or Cigna or some of the others. And then also, of course, in the Medicaid programs back to CMS as well. So uh, what what we, in our conversations, our our group has said, let's swim with the tide. In other words, we don't pretend that there aren't a lot of others that are trying to do some of the things we advocate. There are some beginnings of that. And our goal is to push them along uh, where they agree and try to accelerate some of those changes. Let's swim with the tide and not, you know, against it. And so I think that's where some of the changes and groups that are currently working on better care come in, and we're there to support them. We're now beginning to meet with them uh, one-on-one, and our goal is throughout the rest of this year, we're going to generate some of the issues in terms of implementation, and we hope to secure some funding in early by early 2024 to have an in-person convening. With the relevant stakeholders on some of the uh, obstacles to implementing some of these principles and criteria.
1: Thank you, Steve. John, again, you've got a unique perspective being involved with Epic for so long. Talk to us about, you know, what your thoughts are.
2: Well, I got to spend a couple hours with Satya Nadella uh, and Judy Faulkner uh, just a couple of days ago, and you know, these are the visionaries, really, that have been trying to make things better um and um the generative ai, AI thing is, is a real is 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 real and it's going to make a big difference and the reason is that you can study things so much faster and you can get to uh, prototypes so much faster by using by using um chat gpt for example uh things like in basket you know that's the the bane of all clinicians' existence. It's part of the reason that all clinicians are burning out. Well, guess what? Uh, Generative AI is going to take care of most everything in the end basket. And all the docs are going to have to do is just read it and sign off on it. They're not going to have to deal with it other than that. And actually, there was an interesting paper that was published in JAMA a few weeks ago that showed that the the AI was actually uh, felt to be more empathetic to patients than, than the actual human interaction uh, in the in basket. So I think <laughs> we're gonna see some really exciting uh, and helpful technology, but it still gets back to what's the process we're using to deliver better care. I think the technology is way ahead of what our what our existing processes are. And that's what we got to focus on. We got to focus on team-based processes and then we're going to have this amazing technology that will be able to support pretty much anything we want to come up with. But we still have to come up with a new process.
1: You know, t- two observations. Uh, number one is obviously the generative AI doesn't get burned out like the doctor. So the doctor, you know, if they're having a bad day. That can come through in what they're doing. And, and I think the second thing is, and, and something you know, we've had some conversations about, and this may be a whole nother podcast, is technology isn't the answer. Technology can support you in the process development and, and make it easier. So as we put it, the doctor or the caregiver can work at their highest license level and not have to worry about what they're writing. And the system can help them. The technology can help them with that. But then they're spending more time with the patient and perhaps doing better from that perspective. Very interesting. So, Steve, in the article, it's mentioned that CMS has the building blocks approach, and you kind of referred to it in your answer, to align across payment programs. Talk about this, what they're doing a little bit, would you?
0: Yeah, I I think they're uh, really being very thoughtful about their approach. And what it is, Peter, basically, is they're taking a life course perspective uh, from birth or even pre-birth all the way to older age uh, in looking at how do we want to measure the care and the health of people throughout the life course. That's uh, kind of a bedrock kind of uh, approach they're taking. And then within that, they're trying to develop relevant measures, a few health-relevant, clinically-relevant measures. And they're starting with adult and pediatric to begin with as kind of a building block. And they're going to then build out from that. And what they're doing, Peter, is they're doing that then across all of the payment models that they have out there, the value-based payment models, trying to standardize those so it's easier in terms of the burden on providers or whomever to provide that data. And to your earlier question about with the HRs and generative technologies now, it should be easier over time at least for providers to generate and supply some of that data. And I'll, I'll kind of here, I looked it up the other day there, whole area here, and I'll just read it off for, for listeners. Uh, this is their national quality strategy at CMS, is to promote, pr- promote aligned and improved health outcomes across the care journey. That's the life stage I was talking about. And they want to align it across all programs and all care settings. So primary care, inpatient care, the emergency room, the aftercare, post-acute care, etc. A second high priority is equity. Uh, And whole person care, whole person care looks at all dimensions of health and also all the data will be stratified by race, ethnicity, gender preferences, disability, etc. And they want to engage individuals and communities to become partners in their care. So in terms of the team-based care that John and I alluded to earlier, It's like, uh, you know, it's about the patient. It's not what's the matter with you, but what really matters to you, right? Tell us what's going on in your life. And then they have a big section on safety and what they call resilient healthcare systems, namely achieve zero, zero preventable harm. Right now, our our crazy payment system, fee for service, you make a mistake, people make mistakes, but that's additional income. You know, so what? You know, you know, the error is human, so you know, we don't, you know, that's gonna happen. And you know, we get another hit on the revenue side in any event. Resiliency. They want a more responsive and resilient healthcare system is needed to improve quality. And then they have a section on interoperability and scientific innovation to support the transition to digital and a data-driven healthcare system that Epic and others are you know, trying to drive. And finally, they wanna transform healthcare using science, analytics, and technology. So they're going down deep uh, on that, but they're starting with these building blocks and we'll build that out over time. And I think it's a great framework that uh, other payers can use as well.
1: Thank you, Steve. and and. Also, Steve, both you and John have referred to, it's clear that real-time data analysis transparency is important to this. So we know what's going on in a much more prompt manner and, and issues can be addressed or opportunities for improvement can be identified. What are some of the current obstacles? And actually, both of you probably have some thoughts on this, that limit or delay the opportunity to get to this shared knowledge that's out there?
0: Yeah, I'll just start off and John can elaborate. It's the interoperability issue. We need common data reporting protocols for all the data vendors. We need to standardize billing systems, etc. We need to standardize the quality metrics. Out here in California, I'm a member of the Integrated Health Association board that's been working on standardization for all the payers, right? But many of the payers or the health plans are national, so they're constricted by, well, if we do this in California, you know, et cetera, uh, we got to get permission from headquarters. So there's a lot of work to be done around uh, standardization. Give you an example. Just yesterday, uh, this is on the dental side. I have, a, you know, if you will, a primary care dentist. I have a tooth that was uh, playing football when I was eight, nine years old, came loose. <laughs> and uh, they, it survived. It survived for some 65, 70 years now. <laughs> My primary care dentist noticed something on it, refers me to an entodontist. So I go over there, right, to the entodontist, and she hands me this, you know, a couple pages, you got to fill out this health. I said, didn't Dr. Al, my primary care dentist, send you over my medical record? And the young woman says, well, well, no, we don't have that. Well, how about my primary care doctor? You know, she's got my medical record. It's called chart out here. No, no. So I had a, you know, all these things. I mean, you know it well. So there we are. And so I did it. But that's just one small example.
1: Wow, Steve, thank you for sharing a story about a tooth injury when you were a child and a football injury. On top of that, I can honestly say on the lens, I don't think anybody shared a story related to a football injury they had, even though it's used. John, what do you think? What are some of the obstacles?
2: Yeah, I agree with Steve. I think it's, it, you know, when you look at how we measure things, even within the healthcare organizations themselves, there aren't, there's no standard. So what does it mean to be discharged uh, before 11 a.m.? I mean, you know, what what's the definition of that? You know, I, so there's, what we have found is that it, it takes even, you know, uh a lot of work just to agree within an organization what the data standards are, let alone try to do that across the entire industry. So I really believe and you know, Epic's working really hard on this is to try to, try to uh, establish what those data standards are so that we can compare apples to apples across the industry. And right now we can't. So, you know, the fact that we can't report outcomes across the industry is that we haven't agreed on what the definitions of those outcomes actually are. And until we do agree on the definitions, which really lead to the data standards, then it's really hard to compare uh, and to be transparent. So we just need a lot of work on data standards and agreement on on, uh, definitions, data definitions And that's going to, I think that's going to be the, you know, the next few years of work on transparency is to really build those data definitions.
1: Well, and that makes sense because, and that's the cascade part of it is, right. You, you, you you agree on the definition and then you start gathering the data and then you can say, this is kind of what look good looks like. And then you can start saying, what's the standard we want to shoot for. So using that, that context, give us some ideas. What are, what are some things listeners can do to support, the concept of the better care model, the get better care plan development. What, what are some things people can do?
0: Yeah, I'll start out, uh, Peter. Um, I, I guess I would try to communicate a message uh, to listeners that as our group has discussed uh, the better care plan, the blueprint, we're not naive. We recognize there's going to be a lot of pushback. And we think particularly from hospitals and health systems, because it's a threat to their revenue, the way they currently get paid, right? And uh, and we see that out here in California, but uh, across the nation. And uh, so I guess I would encourage uh, hospital and health system leaders and anybody who works in giving care to patients uh, in those kinds of settings, uh, to be more open and more innovative and to recognize that currently Uh, They're working in a system that pays for errors, that pays for waste, that pays for inefficiency, that rewards you for not continuous improvement. Not that anybody intends to harm patients, right? And so we need to flip the mindset uh, and say, in effect, stop this, stop this. Let's argue or negotiate over what the risk adjustment prospective payment rate might be, right, right? Uh, Etc. Maybe there needs to be, uh, you know, a, a probationary period or whatever until we can adjust to new revenue generating models. But let's stop rewarding what we're doing now because it's very very harmful. So I would hope that the American Hospital Association. I'm going to call out names here. Uh, I've had a little bit of a discussion with Joanne Conroy, who runs the Dartmouth Hitchcock Health System. She's gonna be the incoming chair of the AHA. Of course, they turn over every year. Uh, she's got some ideas and I hope she can convince some of the leadership of the AHA to be more uh, proactive, not just reactive in their policies. Do we don't like this and you're threatening patient care, you're gonna reduce our etc. et cetera. And flip that thinking around and be brave and bold, and at least be willing to experiment. And the same with the state hospital association executives, whether it be Wisconsin or Minnesota or California or whatever, uh, is get out in front of this. It's time to get aboard. And we can argue what the healthcare budget should be and how you negotiate and so on. But let's get rid of this. You get another DRG hit or you get another fee for service hit, uh, you know, if things happen. So that would be my message,
2: I think, to some of the listeners.
1: Thank you, Steve. John, do you have any thoughts on ways that listeners can support?
2: I think that people are going to have to run experiments. And I think one of those experiments is to sit down with the payers in your market and say, how can we do this differently? How can we get paid differently? Let's run an experiment. And, Mike, you know, usually there is one payer that actually is willing to do some things. So I'd, I'd start there. I also, Steve and I have been talking to to uh, business coalition leaders. I think the business coalitions in this country have a a great potential to run important experiments. And I've talked to a couple recently who are very interested in that. And I think, you know, they, since they're the ultimate payer other than, you know, for Medicare, they can run experiments, and I think we're seeing some of that. And the uh, um, the purchasers business group on health is running running some experiments with primary care uh, incentives and payment. And what we need to do is just start running some experiments. And you don't have to bet the farm tomorrow, but let's let's get some things in play so we can see what works and what doesn't.
1: Great. So, all right, you two, any, and we always ask the guests, any final thoughts you want to share for the listeners that they can take away any nuggets? Steve?
0: Yeah, I think I would say that from our perspective, we're in this for the long haul. Uh, We continue to work on this. This wasn't just a paper that we're publishing. We're we're also, I, I think, appropriately humble and not naive. We're far from the first over decades to say some of these things. Maybe we've said it in a different way with a different group of people. But if you remember, Peter, and uh, maybe you do or don't, but going back to 1932, the Committee on the Cost of Medical Care, right in there, they said even there, that group, that the best way to provide care is through team-based group practice. And here we are a century later, and we're creeping, you know, towards that. Kaiser was an exception. And there's other uh, groups over the years, uh, Fresh Thinking Group, and you know the National Academy of Medicine has had a number of reports so we know we're far from the first to say some of these things but maybe now's the time is right coming off the pandemic and so forth and we're really about accelerating the, the changes here and so uh, I would just add that bit of uh, context that we're going to be working on this as I say we hope to have a convening and we're working with the policy groups we've got their attention The paper and the ideas have resonated with a lot of people. And so we know we're on the right track, we think. And uh, we're gonna go from there. The only other thing, Peter, I would mention is actually a a much shorter version of the paper, which isn't that long itself, will be published next week, uh, maybe Monday or Tuesday, Academy Health uh, blog. They reach thousands of people with uh, that organization. We were requested to reduce this to 800 words or so. Uh, Gail Walensky and I took the lead on that, but all of our group uh, contributed and will be uh, acknowledged uh, as such. So I'll make that available to you and we can get that out to uh, listeners as well. So it's a great short synopsis of, of what we've discussed
2: today.
1: Thank you, Steve. John, any final thoughts?
2: The only thing I would say is if you're running an experiment and you're excited about it, contact us because we want to get as many examples of what we wrote about in this paper as possible. I think the more examples we get, the more momentum, you know, and, and we'll write you up. We'll We'll, you know, we'll publish something about what you're doing. So tell us what you're doing. If you're excited about an experiment that's along these lines, we want to hear from you.
1: Oh, great suggestion, John. So John, Steve, as always, thank you both for joining us today.
2: My pleasure.
0: Thank you, Peter.
1: And we appreciate you all listening. If you have any suggestions, or as John said, if you have something you want to share with us, or you want more info info on this topic or other topics you'd like to hear, just email us at events at createvalue.org. The Catalysis mission is to build a community in healthcare to share knowledge. This, we believe, will create better outcomes for patients, caregivers, and communities. Learn more about our work at createvalue.org.
0: Thank you for listening. Visit createvalue.org to learn more about Catalysis and how we can inspire you to accelerate change in your organization.